0: Good morning. I'll be reading from Isaiah 714, which is on page 572. It will also be on the screen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the sign that you gave us and for being with us. Thank you that so many people are here to hear your message. I pray that you will open up our minds and hearts to understand and receive Jesus and what we are about to hear from Pastor Kyle. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Malachi Stud. Good work. Please be seated. Good morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are a member of this church, I love you, and I love you that we get to celebrate Christmas together. I've been looking forward to this for about five weeks now as we've been going through Advent. And uh, just, I'm really thankful to be here today. And if you are a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. Um, I know that coming to church can be very intimidating and you can feel a lot of times like this is really weird. But Living Stones is a place where you are free to seek God. It's a place where you can ask difficult questions It's a place where you can hear the Bible and investigate for the truth, and we are honored that you're here. So welcome to Living Stones. The season leading up to Christmas is what Christians all over the world call Advent. And the word Advent means the arrival of a notable person. And on Christmas, we celebrate that this notable person is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and he has visited us. And throughout this Advent season, we as a church have been asking the question, what child is this? What child is this that we see in manger scenes on people's front yards with lights all around it? What child is this that we hear on the radio and these songs being sung about him? What child is this who is called the Christ, who is this whole holiday is named after? And today from our text in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and also in Matthew 1 verse 23, we see that this child is Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. Right, church? In Isaiah, this prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus was born. And when the announcement of his birth came, the angel said, it's happening. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. So this is a huge claim, isn't it? Who is this child? God. God with us. The everlasting ancient of days, who eternally exists in both directions of time. The creative genius who spoke all things into existence by the word of his power. The commander of galaxies, solar systems, planets, asteroids, and storms. The omniscient Lord who knows all things, who knows every bug in the jungle, every snowflake that falls from the sky, every pebble on the shore, and every thought in every human heart. This child is the eternally righteous judge of heaven and earth. It is God with us. So how can we know? Well, the first thing that we know is that this is what the Bible says. This is what Scripture teaches us. Right here in Isaiah, it says that this child shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. But there's other places in the Bible that tell us that too. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John 1 says that Jesus is the word, the eternal word who became flesh to make his dwelling among us. In Philippians 2, the apostle Paul says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The scripture testifies over and over and over again that this is God. Jesus himself even claimed to be God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, he's saying, if you want to know what God is like, you got to look at me. And then when people worship Jesus, he just accepted it which is really unique because in the Bible, a few times angels show up and people fall down and worship the angels and the angels are like, whoa, 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 don't worship me, I'm not God. But when Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and worships him, Jesus just accepts it. When the crowds say Hosanna and worship him and the religious elite say, you better shut them up, Jesus says, no, if I stop them, the rocks on the ground will cry out because I am God. This is the claim of the Bible. And I think there's a good reason to trust the Bible. I mean, a lot of people have tried to disprove the Bible, but the more we dig, the more we see that it stands. And yeah, we all have a lot of questions with the Bible, but it's never been disproven. And I think the uniqueness of the Bible should call us to, to believe it too. Did you know that the Bible is written by over 40 different authors? It spans over, it was written over 1,500 years in three different language languages. It, can, it has uh, over five different genres of literature now it's a library of books and when you take a library of books like this and you see that it, it threads the needle to tell one story that pivots around the man Jesus Christ your mind is blown because we say this this stands the to- test of time and it must be true you see history proclaims this i think as well there's been a lot of great men in history hasn't there but nearly everybody has been forgotten And even the greatest of men that we might still celebrate today are not universally acknowledged throughout the world. And even those are not worshipped as God. But today, Jesus is worshipped as God all over the earth. In Africa, in China, in Sparks, Nevada, with the Eskimos up in Alaska, he is worshipped as God. And that testifies to something. It, It testifies that we should at least take a look. And so when we look a little closer, we see God giving himself to us as a baby in a manger. And in so doing, God is revealing what he wants us to know about him. So let's look at a little, a few things about how God reveals himself to us in the birth story of Jesus. The first thing is this. It shows us that God is not boring. Amen? Amen. He's not boring. God became a baby? That's awesome. J.I. Packer, great theologian, says uh, there is nothing in fiction more fantastic than the incarnation. Like Star Wars, Hunger Games, Lord of the Rings, all awesome, but all pale in comparison to the historical narrative that God became a baby. Secondly, he is all powerful. How did God choose to come into the world? The scripture tells us, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You don't have to graduate elementary schools to realize that a virgin birth is impossible. Even Mary, when the angel appeared to Mary and said, hey, Mary, you're going to have a child, Mary said back to the angel, you know I'm a virgin, right? I just picture Mary in her head going like, dude, this angel needs to go and talk back to God and learn how pregnancy works and then come back to me. But the angel responded to Mary and said, this child is from God and with God all things are possible nothing is nothing is impossible for God the virgin birth shows us God is revealing to us that he is all powerful and you know what church that is such good news because we live in a broken jacked up hurtful world and in that kind of world we need an all-powerful God but he's not just all-powerful he's gentle how did he choose to come not in all the glory of his might but as a gentle baby I mean, consider how you would come if you were all powerful, perhaps riding a dragon (laughs) on a fantastic beast, or maybe in the wind like a hurricane or a ball of fire. That's not how God came. He came as a baby, gentle, meek, and he's showing us something about himself. He's showing us that he is all powerful, but he wants to be known, and he's come to be gentle with broken people, and it's good news. You know why? Because we live in a hurtful, screwed up, jacked up world. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're hurtful, screwed up, jacked up people. And we need a gentle God. And then lastly, he comes in a way that is tangible. And he shows us that God is tangible. Many of us are asking, how can we know God? Jesus says, because I am tangible. He came as a baby. You know, God is so infinite and transcendent and beyond us that our minds have a hard time grasping who he is. God came as a baby to be held, a person to be known, and he took on flesh to be grasped. And he shows us that what his greatest desire is that we would know him and have relationship with him and be with him. This is what the message tells us. He's God with us. Now, isn't it cool that God has in his very name a desire to be with his people? No other God, in, the, in any other worldview ever, has ever had that kind of name. But this is the name that Jesus bears. He's with us. And he wasn't just with us to show us that at that point in history, he came to be with us. He was with us throughout his whole life to show us that he is always wanting to be with us. For instance, he's with us in the ordinary things of life. Consider how Jesus, who Jesus was born to. He was born to Mary and Joseph, who were just normal Poor parents. He wasn't born in a palace. Jesus grew up in an ordinary way. I know the song says that he didn't cry in the manger, but he did. (laughs) He cried in the manger. He messed his diaper. He threw temper tantrums. Holy ones. (laughs) He grew up as an ordinary child. Yet without sin. Uh, In fact, his life was so ordinary that the Bible does not record anything about uh, Jesus and his life uh, except for one event until he's 30 years old. He was just that ordinary. And when he was announced as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, everybody was looking around because Jesus didn't stand out of the crowd. He was that ordinary. And what this means is as he was growing up, he hung out with his buddies. He jumped off rocks into the Sea of Galilee.
1: You know, the area that
0: he lived had a lot of war and battles that were fought before, so he probably searched for arrowheads with his friends. He fell off his donkey because they didn't have bikes, and he skinned his knees. <laughs> Jesus was ordinary, and he was a son of a carpenter. And those first 30 years where nothing is written about him, are so they speak so loudly. Isn't it funny how silence can speak so loud sometimes? Because it shows us that God can be found in the ordinary. And look at me. Many of us in this room feel like failures because we look at our lives and we're like, this is nothing special. But Jesus being ordinary shows us that God is with us in the ordinary. But he's also with us in suffering. Where was Jesus laid after he was born? Where the animals eat. Not an ideal place for a baby. But this would be a picture of his whole life. His whole life, he knew that he was gonna face suffering. Jesus knows firsthand what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus wept. He was called a man of sorrows. He was falsely accused. He was tortured by his own creation. Jesus came to us to show us that he's with us in our suffering. And isn't that great? Because I know that holidays are oftentimes joy, but they're also times of deep sadness as we experience suffering and loss. And in those times, we don't want stuff. We want the presence of somebody to comfort us. And Jesus being with us in our suffering, saying, I'm with you to comfort you, and I know what you're going through firsthand. There's no other God like him. He's also with us in our joy. Now listen up, church. He is with us in our joy. Not only was Jesus a man of sorrows, he was also a man who had a good time. Consider how he was born. When he was born, angels showed up in the sky And proclaimed a huge song and had a party in heaven to some shepherds. The shepherds ran to visit what had happened. And when they got to the manger scene, they saw it was as the angels had said. And they rejoiced. And then Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And she had joy. And Jesus was at the center of it all. Jesus was a man. Yes, he was a man of sorrows. But he was also a man of great joy. What was his first miracle? To turn water into wine at a wedding. Because they ran out of wine that's awesome. And it wasn't like box wine. It was the best wine. Jesus was known by the people who liked to party as somebody that they wanted to be around because he was a man of joy. When you read his sermons, he told jokes. He probably played practical jokes on Peter and John all the time. He was like, "Ooh, you just got Jesus, you know. <laughs> he was a man of great joy. And religious people need to hear this. Because sometimes we treat religion like it's something we have to be so, like, solemn and stuffy about. I mean, even our pictures of Jesus, he just looks so sad sometimes, doesn't he? He's always doing this thing with his fingers. It's like, I just want to give him a hug and be like, it's all right, buddy. But that's not the picture that Jesus has painted in the scriptures. In the scriptures, we see that Jesus, yes, he was a man of sorrow, but he's also a man of great joy. And so what it means for those who believe in him is we can dance, we can celebrate, we can have a good time, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. Because your sins are forgiven and you know God and even in the worst times in this world there's reason to rejoice he's a man of great joy he's also with us in our chaos he was born in Bethlehem and the reason he was born in Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus called for a census in all the land and so everybody had to return to their home family or, or their their place where their family was from and so all these people were coming to Bethlehem who were from there meaning that it was a huge family reunion and it was a packed house The hotels were packed. All the family was there. Now, let me ask you a question. When all your family gathers for a huge family reunion, what kind of environment is that? Don't answer now because they're sitting next to you. (laughs) It's chaotic, isn't it? (laughs) It's often you're like trying to clean. You're trying to prep, trying to cook, trying to handle the kids, worrying about your crazy uncle. Like you're doing all that stuff. And this was the environment that God chose to come into. I love how a friend of ours, a great woman of God named Dina Rogers, she says, isn't it interesting that God, who could have came at any moment in history, chose to come at the most chaotic time for these people? And he was showing them, and he's showing us that he is with us in our chaos. And lastly, he was with us in rejection. Where was Jesus laid? In a manger. Because there was no room for him in the inn. No room. Jesus came to trade places with sinners, and none of them made room for him. No room. Which is really unique considering Middle Eastern hospitality. If you know anything about Middle Eastern hospitality, especially Jewish Middle Eastern hospitality, it's a very welcoming culture. For those who are uh, in a need, they'll welcome you into their home. But when Mary and Joseph arrived, they were pushed aside to be with the animals. And then, if you add on top of that even more, it was their family who was making them outcasts. It really makes you feel the struggle of rejection that they felt. And we might ask, why did they push him aside? Well, we know that this was a very religious culture. And it was a culture that would outcast people for breaking God's law if they did not repent. And Mary was a supposed virgin who, when they asked her to repent, she said, I'm not repenting, I was impregnated by the Holy Spirit they're like right (laughs) and so they pushed her aside and so the very way that Jesus was brought into this world was in the scandal of being an outcast and that's so important for us because many of us are hurting here today because we feel like outcasts and a lot of times it's by the ones who are supposed to love us the most that are pushing us aside but Jesus is with us in our rejection And he's not just with us in our rejection. The whole purpose for his coming was that he would be rejected for us. The drama of the Bible is that in the beginning, God created everything and he created humans so that we would live and have relationship with him. And that's how it was in the beginning. Adam and Eve walked with God, but shortly after he created them, they disobeyed and broke his commands. They chose their way instead of his way. And that caused separation from God because God is holy and perfect. And that meant sin had entered into humanity. And ever since then, we've been following in their footsteps, sinning against God. You cannot have a Christmas celebration unless you first acknowledge that we are all sinners. And if you want to know what sin is, it's simply saying to God, I'm going to live my way instead of your way. You know what sin is? It's pushing Jesus aside, just like they did in Bethlehem. And we've all done this thousands of times. And the Bible says in Romans chapter six that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. And it's, and it's a huge, it's a huge punishment. It's an infinite punishment because we've sinned against an infinite God. St. Anselm said that the, the punishment is so great because we have sinned against the infinite one. And so therefore, an, only an infinite payment can satisfy and bring God's forgiveness. And what that means for humanity is our only hope, is an, an infinite being coming to pray the infinite price. And who other to do that than God in the flesh? God with us. This is that baby. He was born in the manger, but the manger is a foreshadow of the cross. He was rejected in the manger by men, but on the cross, he would be rejected by God in our place, taking what we deserve. This is why when Jesus was strung up on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he was taking your place. He was being rejected so you could be restored. He was being pushed out so that you could be brought in. He was being punished so that you could be loved. And isn't it wonderful that instead of punishing us or rejecting us or or pushing us out, God chose to love us with his presence. So on the cross, we see God giving us the greatest gift of all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that on the cross, Jesus himself was decorating the Christmas tree. He was giving us what we He was taking what we deserve so he could give us what he deserves, which is life with God forever. And so this is the Christmas message. God has come, and because of Jesus, and only through Jesus, can we be forgiven and have life with God. And so if you're not a Christian in here, and you're kind of somebody investigating, this is the call for you, to investigate. If this is true, it's worth an investigation, if there is a way for your sins to be forgiven, and for you to have life with your creator, which is the deepest longing of all of our hearts, this is worth an investigation. Don't ignore it, investigate. And and if you're in the position where you say, you know, I just don't like the idea that Jesus is the only way, I understand that, but here, let me offer you this. If you were sick, and you went to the doctor, and the doctors came in, and they're like, yeah, you're sick, but we're not really sure what's going on, and And they said, you could try this or try this. And then there was one doctor who came in and said, I know exactly what's going on. Your condition is worse than you think. And your only hope to live is if you do this one thing for a cure. You don't push him aside because he says there's one cure. You investigate to see if his claims are true. And that is your call. If you are here and you're hearing this claim and you're wondering, might that be true? Your call is to investigate. Pick a Bible. Take one of these ones on the seats home with you. Read the Bible for yourself. Start in the book of Matthew. Come back to church. Ask questions. This is your invitation. And if you've been doing that for a while and your heart is burning within you and you're like, yes, like this rings true in my heart. I I believe this. Then worship God. Don't just stop with investigating, worship him. Be like the shepherds who flocked to see the baby Jesus and gave glory to God. And if you've been a Christian for a while or even for 10 minutes, Your call is to celebrate. Church, we've been lighting these dang candles for four weeks saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Guess what we celebrate tomorrow? He's coming, and he's here, and we lit this candle, and God is with us. And because of his Holy Spirit, we are forgiven. And because of what Jesus has done, we will never be rejected. And because of that, we are sons and daughters of God. I was speaking to an older gentleman in our church last week, and he came up to me with tears in his eyes, and he just said this, I am a child of God. And that's the sweetest truth that any Christian could ever say. God looks at us because of Jesus and says, You are my son and my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. So church, celebrate. Let's praise him together. Amen? Amen. God, we give you praise. Words cannot express even what you've done for us, but we are going to give our best effort because you're worthy of all praise and joy. And we pray that you would uh, help our hearts to know you and to love you and to receive what you've done for us. I pray for those who are in here investigating uh, these claims. And I know that they sound crazy, God, but I pray that you would reveal to them that they're true. And I pray that you would give them comfort, that it's okay to ask questions and to investigate and to seek truth but we pray that you would reveal yourself. And I pray for all those who are hurting in here today, that they would be comforted by your presence with them and that we would know that you are God and that you desire to be with us and that you would satisfy the longing of our hearts to be with you. And all God's people said, amen.